Hello, vampires and slayers. This is Mixtress Ray, and you're listening to What's This Bitch Talking About? A podcast. <laughs> a podcast. <laughs> oh, I messed up my flow. You're listening to What's This Bitch Talking About? To which the answer to that question is Buffy the Vampire Slayer, Season 3, Episode... I think it's Episode 9? <laughs> Entitled The Wish. So, um, this is the one where Cordelia wishes Buffy had never come to Sunnydale. And we get the alternate reality, we get Vamp Willow, and we, um, meet Anya, Anyanka, for the first time. Um, so yeah, let's talk about it. Um, let's just do a little bit of a what's up with Mixtress real quick, just so you know where I am and what's going on with me. I, um got a brand new tattoo yesterday so I don't know if you'll be able to hear it but I still have like the saran wrap over the tattoo so sometimes when I'm moving you can hear it so if you hear like some sort of weird diaper sound it is not a diaper it is just some plastic over my oozy tattoo um I am if you're interested if you check out my personal Instagram, which you can follow too if you want to. It is under Mixtress Ray, M-I-X-T-R-E-S-S-R-A-E. You can see like the initial photo, at least um, by the time you hear this, you'll see, you can see the initial photo of like right after it was done before it was wrapped. Um, other than that, there I probably won't have another photo of it until it's like fully healed, which it will look the best once it's fully healed but I'm really I really love it a lot I tend to my favorite tattoo tends to be my newest tattoo so it is currently my favorite tattoo um but I love them all this is my um 14th tattoo I think or 15th whatever I don't feel like counting again because I just like can't keep that number in my head for some reason but um Needless to say, uh, at 14 or 15, I have a lot of experience with getting tattoos. Um, and if every time I get one, it like reinvigorates my love of tattoos and I like want to get another one immediately, but I can really only afford to get one about once a year. So that's about what it is these days. Um, I was thinking about it earlier. I've been getting tattooed. I believe my first tattoo was 2007. Um, it could have been 08, but regardless, I have been getting tattoos for at least 10 years. And, um, yeah, I probably will keep going indefinitely. You know, like if I get one tattoo a year, it'll probably take the rest of my life at that rate to fill up my whole body. <laughs> but, um, I also like... I, if I sound really tired and out of it, it is probably because of the tattoo. I, I react really, I'm kind of, I don't, I don't think I'm a drama queen, but I'm just so easily overstimulated that like pretty much every experience in life exhausts me. And getting tattooed is one of those things that like, I was seriously like, it's not always this bad, but last night basically the only thing I did yesterday was get this tattoo. I went in at one o'clock 
We worked on the design a little while, got started around two or two thirty, and I left. It was when I left, it was almost six. So it was like, and I slept late yesterday too. So I basically just got up, ate breakfast, went to get a tattoo. And then as soon as I emerged from the building, it was dark and I just drove straight home and just like laid on the couch the rest of the night. Like, <laughs> I was so exhausted. Um, so this particular tattoo is, I'm trying to like think, how big is it? It's probably about like six inches in diameter, somewhere around there. Um, let me actually measure it. Cause I, I don't know. I kind of want to know, <laughs> hold, hold please. When I measure my tattoo. Yeah, that's about right. Like about six and a half inches. Um, and it is a, my very first chest piece. Um, it might be my only chest piece, but I don't know. We'll see. I might decide I want something on the other side. It's on the, um, my left side of my shoulder, I guess I should say the right side of my chest because that's what it will be to everyone else. Um, but it's, um, it's a crow and it's holding like a little chunk of ivy in its, um, claws. And so there's the ivy underneath it. And then the crow, it's like a profile of a crow. So you can see it on my Instagram, but it's just basically like it's in flight. And so you can see the full left wing of the crow and it's the left wing is sort of going across my left shoulder. So I'm really happy with it. It turned out really great. Um, I had, I have a pretty great relationship with my tattoo artist. The one that I have, this will be the, this was the fifth tattoo I've gotten from this particular artist. And she lives like less than a five minute drive or lives. She works less than a five minute drive away from where I live now. So it's very easy to like, just, you know, take a little drive. And cause I'm not like usually very fit to drive after getting a tattoo. Like, cause I am so out of it after a tattoo. It is insane how out of it I am. I'm just like brain dead and tired and exhausted just from I mean, I guess it makes sense because your body's going through some trauma when you're getting tattooed because a tattoo gun is basically just a motorized needle dis ink dispensary system. So like if you've never gotten a tattoo, you might not know this, but it's just basically a needles of varying sizes and the ink, you dip the needle in the ink and it just vibrates poking needles into your skin and delivering the ink into the holes by the needles. So it's kind of like gardening, but with tattoo ink. And, um, so I'm at the pretty much the most uncomfortable stage right now since it's been, I guess I had just started getting the tattoo 24 hours ago. So I've already cleaned it a couple of times, but the very first stage of like, you guys probably don't care about all these details, but like, I just tend to talk about the things that are going on with me at the moment. So the very first stage, like once the tattoo is done and it's been wrapped, like the first, you know, the first few hours, I would say, I mean, it's still oozing. <laughs> Like the first few hours, it's like you might be bleeding a little bit. Some of the ink, like there's some kind of seepage that happens. 
and then usually by the next morning when you clean it off the seeping kind of is done but for whatever reason with this particular tattoo it is still in the seeping stage and it has been you know 24 hours since the tattoo started so probably by the next time I like clean it and change out the saran wrap um it will be done seeping <laughs> why am I talking about this who knows um it's just uncomfortable at this stage because like I'm swollen and it hurts and I'm still really tired from the experience and because it's on my chest I, if I were to put a bra on, like the strap would go across the tattoo, so I don't really want to put a bra on, so I like, I don't know, I just want to stay hidden in the cave of my house until I, until my tattoo's done seeping and I can put a bra on again. <laughs> Luckily, this podcast is the only thing I have to accomplish today, and um, I was supposed to go to an art opening or an art exhibit thing. I don't know if I'll still be doing that. I mean, it shouldn't be too hard for me to just like make myself look presentable and go look at some art for an hour, but let's be real, I may not be able to accomplish that today. <laughs> at least I didn't like say for sure whether or not I was going to this particular thing. Anyway, let's talk about, I'm very happy with my tattoo. It's just the uncomfortable stages of healing. First of all, I hate having saran wrap on my flesh. I hate it, but it really is useful for like the first 24 to 48 hours of having a tattoo to like, I mean, you have to change it out like two or three times a day. Like, don't let that shit get gross. <laughs> Take it off, clean your tattoo, rinse it, put new saran wrap back on. Um, my tattoo artist recommends that you do that process with the saran wrap for three full days. I usually don't make it that long. Like basically as soon as it's done seeping, because basically your body just sort of, it pushes back out some of the ink. It doesn't take all of the ink that is put in it. So that's why tattoos always look kind of absurdly dark and saturated in the beginning, because if your tattoo artist knows what they're doing they're going to put more ink in than your body can actually accept because your body's going to reject a certain portion of it initially which is part of that seeping is like the first few times you wash your tattoo you're going to be washing off some of the ink so as soon as my body's done pushing out the ink and it starts just kind of drying up a little bit more and acting like normal skin then I will stop putting saran wrap on it because I can't, I can't stand it. I hate it. It It is useful though, the first couple of days because it prevents that ink transferring to your clothing and your sheets at night and stuff. So it is useful, but my personal opinion as a person that doesn't have that many tattoos, you know, only 15 or 14, I think it's 14. Um, that's my opinion. So, you know, do whatever your tattoo artist tells you to do as far as tattoo care, but also, you know, like use your own judgment of what works for you, you know, like find a balance between the way that you want to take care of your tattoos and the way that your tattoo artist tells you to take care of your tattoos. Like 
I break a few of the rules that she gives me because, you know, I'm not, I don't buy the exact brand of soap that she wants me to buy to wash my tattoo with. Um, I just use Dr. Bronner's because I'm a hippie. Um, and I do not leave the saran wrap on for three days. So now it's public. I defy my tattoo artist, but I mean, I leave it on when it needs to be on. Kind of like how like people say that you should like wash your hands. I feel like people think that you should like wash and sanitize your hands like eight times a day or more, like all the fucking time. It's just like, I just don't think that's right. I think I will wash my hands when they seem dirty, you know? <laughs> you know? I don't know. Anyway, let's talk about the wish. So, um, let's see. It opens with a scene where Buffy is getting choked by this, like, um, Thulu, Cthulhu-looking demon, however you say that. H.P. Lovecraft squiddy-faced monster word that is spelled C-T-H-U-L something something something. Cthulhu-looking demon dude is choking Buffy and she's trying to communicate to... She's on like a picnic with Willow and Xander but she also has a bunch of weapons. So I think they were like waiting for this demon or something but then they were unprepared because Buffy's getting choked by it and um, Willow finds a weapon for her in her bag and so she defeats the demon and she, it's just sort of to set up the fact that Buffy in our current reality that we know her in has friends that can help her. That's the reason why she's alive. You know, she was killed by the master at the end of season one and was resuscitated by Xander. So this scene is just to establish that Buffy has friends and she says what, um, and they also talk about faith for a second. I think they're just throwing in a little thing to let you know that faith's not going to be in this episode. I don't even think she's going to be in the next. No, she is going to be in the next. Oh God. Oh God. There's a heartbreaking moment in the next episode, and I just remembered it concerning Faith. Um, if this is your first time listening to my Buffy podcast, you should know right now that this is not a spoiler-free Buffy podcast. I will regularly talk about things that happen years in the future. Um, I don't even think I mentioned that my Buffy podcast, what I do, what I do here is... I talk about every episode of Buffy exactly 20 years after its original air date. So we're talking about The Wish today because The Wish, The Wish, The Wish <laughs> originally debuted on December 8th, 1998. So that's why we're talking about it today, December 8th, 2018, unless you're listening to this in the future. If so, hey, I hope it's better for you where you are. Okay. Little moment of silence for for December 8th, 2018. <laughs> Things are still kind of politically dark right now. So basically there's just kind of like this little throwaway conversation, which is more than they've done in the last couple episodes. We haven't even seen Faith since she had to like help Buffy kill her new watcher. Yeah. I mean, since that, we really haven't seen Faith and that was a couple episodes ago. 
So there's just this little throwaway conversation where Xander's like, hey, where's Faith? I thought she would, you know, be into this demon or whatever. And, and Buffy's just sort of like, well, I couldn't get hold of her again. And then um, Xander says, I detect worry. And this is where Buffy says the quote of the episode. Slang's a rough gig. Too much alone time isn't healthy. So it's established that, like, Buffy's been having trouble getting a hold of Faith, but she's not worried that Faith is dead, which, I don't know, that's kind of a red flag right there. I think she should be pushing harder. And Willow even says we need to make sure we socialize with Faith more. So they're giving some foreshadowing, you know, Faith is not around much. Faith is, you know, going to go to the dark side pretty damn soon. Um, but it's just sad, you know, we only get, you know, a pretty small chunk of time considering, like, from the time that we meet Faith to the time that she starts working with the mayor and she's just, you know, a bad slayer. It's, you know, it's only like, it's less than a season, so it's like, you know, 10 to 15 episodes is all we get of Faith being a part of the group. And several of these episodes, she's not even fucking there. And that's just an outrage to me. So, moment of silence for Faith. She's not in this episode at all. Um, but basically the whole reason why Buffy is saying slang's a rough, rough gig, too much alone time isn't healthy, is because we're about to see what Buffy without friends would be like in the alternate reality. Um, Xander, oh, um, last episode I talked about how I wanted to pay attention to does Xander ever apologize to Cordelia? Do we ever see him apologize to Cordelia? And I thought that his, because I remembered the scene of Cordelia, the only time we ever see Cordelia's bedroom, which is a nice purple bedroom. She's sitting on her bed and she's burning a picture of Xander. And we hear her and she's like listening to messages that Xander has left for her or is currently leaving for her. I don't know. And, um, and that, that was the moment that I thought, okay, he's probably apologizing in those messages. I remembered that scene, but he's not. In the messages, he's saying, hey, Cordelia, whenever you want to talk, I'm here. Uh, basically, that's all he's saying. Whenever you want to talk, I'm here. I'm here. I'm here is a nice comforting thing to say to someone, but I wanted to hear him apologize. And in that scene, in the picnic scene, when Buffy killed the demon... There was also a lot of Xander just being like, look, I knew that that was positively absolutely the last time we were ever going to kiss, which bullshit. It wasn't. It was only because they got caught. And, you know, basically he is offloading his guilt. He's refusing to feel guilty. He doesn't want to feel guilty. So he's just adamantly refusing to feel guilt. Um, in contrast, Willow's kind of being the opposite. She's being very pushy with her remorse. Like, she wants to grovel to Oz. She is just constantly cornering him and apologizing. They're both being very, like... They're being very intrusive. You know, they cheated on people that didn't deserve to be cheated on. And Xander's calling Cordelia constantly, although he never approaches her at school. 
Like, he calls her a million times, but he doesn't have the fucking guts to walk up to her at school. And Willow, you know, it's assumed that she's tried to call Oz, and he's actually talked to her. Like, Cordelia refuses to even answer the phone and talk to Xander. But Oz has actually talked to Willow, let her say her piece, and told her that he needs her to leave him alone. Um, which we will get to... Um, Let's just get to that now, because that's almost the next scene. We're skipping over something, but um, we'll go back to it. So Oz versus Willow. That's how I wrote it in my notes. Like, basically, um, I guess the picnic thing with the demon was on a Sunday, because Willow is saying, tomorrow's Monday, we get to go back to school. And Buffy's like, oh, good, focusing on school, the Willow way to heal. And then Willow's like... Well, I was more thinking about, I will see Oz so I can grovel some more. So, and some of that, I think, should be mentioned. Some of that, like, picnic conversation after they kill the demon. Um, it's just all about how they're all three heartbroken. You know, Buffy's heartbroken because she decided to kind of forever walk away from Angel. We don't see Angel at all in this episode, except for in the alternate reality. So I think that's important to know. And we only see Giles for like a tiny second at the very end of the episode in the normal reality. Um, mostly it's just um, Giles in the alternate reality is all we see of Giles this episode. So they're all, they're sort of like Xander and Willow are sort of freshly dumped by their first real relationship in high school and they're sort of asking Buffy well how do you deal with this you know because she's been sort of in different levels of dealing with that ever since she ever since Angel went evil and um so that's a theme obviously being dumped is a theme a theme in this episode just like um dealing with your basically the theme of the episode is dealing with your pain in life alone is not a good way to cope just in general so oz versus willow so willow is like waiting for oz to go to his locker she's like lurking and it's sort of established that she's been waiting a while and he probably should have gone to his locker before he actually does and then finally he gives up and goes to his locker. So that makes me think that like he knew that she was lurking and he didn't want to talk to her, but he knew she was lurking and he realized she was never going to fucking go away. So he finally goes to his locker and Willow's like, hey, we ran into each other. La, 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 la. I want to talk, you know, like when I think about the fact that I hurt you and Oz obviously doesn't want to talk. And he says, I pretty much wrote down everything that he says. Like, I want to do anything I can to make it up to you. And Oz says, just, you can leave me alone. I need to figure things out. And Willow says, but maybe if we could talk about it, we could. And then Oz says, look, I'm sorry this is hard for you, but I told you what I need. So I can't help feeling the reason you want to talk is so you can feel better about yourself. That's not my problem. And then he walks away. And this is just like one of the all-time best Oz speeches. I mean, this is a speech for him. This is like three sentences. Like he doesn't talk this much. He has always been so 
emotionally intelligent and mature and it just it kills me I love it so much Oz is so great he's the last person on earth that ever deserved to be cheated on with Xander motherfucking Harris okay and like who in high school is that emotionally mature no one I wouldn't be right now <laughs> no it's just that is just incredible props to Oz um, but right before that Cordelia shows up this is we're led to believe this is her first day back at school so she's been out for like a week um, healing from you know because she was in the hospital last time we saw her and since Buffy typically goes in real time this tracks since last Saturday we didn't have an episode to talk about so it has been two weeks since the last episode and usually they go in real time so it's reasonable to believe that it has now been two weeks since they were caught cheating and since Cordelia was impaled so that kind of makes sense two weeks later she would be you know still hurt still like she was shown with a bandage on when she was sitting on her bed um burning the picture of Xander she was actually it was a picture of all four of them I think it was a picture of Willow Xander Cordelia and Buffy sorry my my stomach is growling I feel like that was loud enough that you might have heard it so she was basically she was cutting every I mean it was very symbolic like when she was burning that picture she was cutting each person out of the picture one by one and burning them and Xander's part of the picture she cut his head off as well so you know this this whole thing is the symbolism of and this makes sense because Cordelia she had you know her cordettes she had her popular friends in her orbit before she started hanging out with Buffy and Xander and Willow and so it makes sense that like now she wouldn't go back to hanging out with them anymore because most of the reason she was hanging out with them was because of Xander I mean not really but kind of so it makes sense that she would be isolating herself from them right now after what happened I mean Oz is too Oz isn't hanging out with everybody so she is isolating herself literally cutting everyone out of the picture she's and she doesn't know if she can go back to her old friends or not so we see her show up at school her first day back she shows up in her red convertible they're like playing this really cheesy like guitar music as she gets out of the car she's wearing like a red leather outfit like a skirt that's slit up almost all the way so you see her 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 whole thigh as she gets out of the car and a red like jacket over a red shirt and she's wearing like vampy red lipstick and a smoky eye with some like metallic silver eyeshadow on it this was almost the outfit of the episode but I think we can all agree that the actual outfit of the episode is vamp willow we'll get there we'll get there in any case Cordelia looks fucking hot she's you know putting on airs because she's trying to be okay she tries to go up to her old friends Harmony and everybody and Anya is with them and um, at first they act like they're accepting her back into the fold but then they make fun of her people are all I call bullshit on some of this like 
It's meant to show that Cordelia is in a lot of pain and she doesn't know her place right now. And that makes sense. But as we're seeing her walk through the school, there's several different scenes of her like walking down the halls and you can hear people in the background. It's not as evident when you're just watching it like on regular TV speakers or whatever. But I watched it with headphones just now and you can definitely hear like the background snickering of all the people as she's walking down the hallway, all of her, you know, fellow students. And they're all saying things like, yeah, she just got dumped. Did you hear? Blah, 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 blah. Like everyone is saying she got dumped. She didn't get dumped. Like she got cheated on. Even Beyonce got cheated on. You know, it's not her fault. But that's what everyone is saying as she's walking down the halls. And you can tell that she just feels awful. She feels like her social status has been compromised because she compromised her own social status by choosing to date Xander, who is thought of as a loser. And now, like, I guess we're supposed to think that everybody thinks she's even more of a loser because she was dumped by a loser. But I don't know. Does anybody care that much about that shit? Like, even in high school, did anyone really give that much of a shit about that shit? Like, I don't know. I guess I just didn't maybe my high school was nicer or maybe I just, I mean, I know I wasn't the type of person that gave a shit what other people were saying about me, but I'm sure a person of popularity status like Cordelia would give a shit about what other people say about her. So that tracks, I guess. I don't know. I just found it kind of weird. Um, and there's this little situation where, um, Cordelia starts talking to some popular guy um, because Xander sees her in the hallway. So she wants him to see her talking to someone else. And he thinks that she's interested in him because she's talking to him. And he's just sort of like, I can't really be seen with you. Like, so the, the overall thing that we're supposed to take away from this is that Cordelia's social status is very compromised by right now. And since that is something that is has been shown to be very important to her, that is a big deal to her. Um, I also noted that the... So Anya sort of singles her out because Anya is a vengeance demon. She is there for Cordelia because Cordelia is in a lot of pain. And Anya really only comes to... She comes... She's the patron saint of scorned women, as um, Giles will say later when he's doing his research on her. Um, she really does, she goes to women that are in a lot of pain and she gets them to make a wish and she makes that wish come true. That's, that's her whole gig. And she shows, uh, she's, so she keeps like singling Cordelia out and like talking to her, like, don't you just wish that, you know, like, so she, in one of the, in the first conversation that Anya and Cordelia have alone, um, and, and Anya's like one of the only people being nice to her. So it makes sense that, you know, Cordelia would gravitate towards her. The first thing Anya says about Xander, and I thought this was important to note, since Anya will be the next girlfriend of Xander, which makes no goddamn sense because she is called by the extreme pain of Cordelia, who was scorned by Xander. And that's the person she ends up dating. Like it's never really addressed that like, 
Like, does she have some sort of self-sabotaging thing about her personality? I mean, I guess it is sort of addressed that Anya's sense of self has always been defined by men. So I guess that is kind of addressed in the future. Anyway, we're not talking about that now. But the first thing she says about Xander ever is, apart from being without class, he class he must be blind and he deserves whatever he gets my next note is okay so everybody's hanging out at the bronze it's um xander willow and buffy sitting on like a tiny little love seat they're all squished into it together buffy in between xander and willow and they're just sort of talking about how sad they are because they all don't have relationships right now and whatever whatever and, you know, Willow's doing her whole guilt thing and Xander's doing the whole I refuse to feel guilty thing. And the whole time, like, he is manspreading so hard on that couch. I can't even stand it. Like, his legs are so wide while they're all squished onto this tiny little love seat and his legs are taking up like two thirds of the fucking couch. It's ridiculous. Willow and Buffy are both just like squished onto the tiny portion of the couch that Xander's legs are not taking up. And it's gross. Okay? It's gross. Do you guys remember two weeks ago when I was like, hey, this is the first time Xander, I mean, even though he's cheating on someone and he's doing a bad thing right now, he respects Willow. He takes her no as a no. He's respectful of her. I'm ready to like Xander. He's going to apologize to Cordelia in the next episode. I just know it and I'm ready to like Xander again. Well, I was completely wrong. He's such a jackass in this episode. Like... It's obvious that him, like, saying that he's refusing to feel guilty is a front because he really does feel guilty. However, it's still just shitty. He is absolutely refusing to apologize and admit what he has done wrong, which is totally within his character. It sucks because, like, realizing how much Xander sucks is taking away from some of my enjoyment of this show. I mean, let's be honest. I'm not going to stop doing this podcast. It's not going to stop being my very favorite show of all time. I'm happy that I have a Buffy tattoo. <laughs> but, you know, being that he's one of the core four characters, I mean, Willow has her problems too, and so does Buffy. I mean, Giles is really the only one that, like, is almost 100% genuine good human. Like, he only does a shitty thing, like, twice in the whole series. <laughs> but anyway. Okay, so Xander being manspready on the couch. Let's try to move on from that. Xander sucks. Okay. Um Oh, um so while they're all sitting on the love seat together, they're sort of like within view of Cordelia and they're watching her and she's like schmoozing it up with people and laughing and whatever. Just pretending to be okay is what she's doing. And Buffy recognizes that. She has always had like kind of a connection with Cordelia, even though she is usually an asshole to Cordelia. She does have empathy in this episode and she 
as Xander, like, keeps bringing up, like, refusing to feel guilty and shit like that, several times in the episode, Buffy sort of puts him in check, like, look, I don't want to do this us against Cordelia thing. Like, I love you. I'm here for you. But she's had it rough. Like, she doesn't come out and just, like, get confrontational with Xander, which I think she should. And I think it would be within their character dynamic for Buffy to get real confrontational with Xander because were these roles reversed, Xander would be being a total dick to Buffy and y'all know it. But anyway, she sees Buffy notices Cordelia walk outside. I wonder if this was a choice because Buffy, like when she decides to follow, Cordelia's wearing like a strapless shirt, still wearing red. Cordelia looks hot in this episode. Just pretty much every single Cordelia outfit in this episode is super hot. But she decides to follow Cordelia outside. Cordelia doesn't have a coat or anything. She's just like wearing a strapless shirt and we see Buffy find her coat before she goes outside to follow Cordelia. And presumably Buffy being a super powered person, she can probably handle the cold better than a regular person. So was that a choice that like we're we're shown Buffy getting her coat and putting it on before she goes outside, but Cordelia isn't wearing one at all. Like, is that how much pain Cordelia's in that she doesn't even think about a coat? Maybe. I don't know. It's either an oversight or I might be reading too much into it, whatever. So Buffy follows Cordelia outside into the alley, which is a mirror of another bad conversation between the two of them. Do you remember... Oh God, what episode was it where Buffy was being like a total bitch? I think it was in When She Was Bad, the first episode of season two. And Cordelia follows Buffy out into that same alley and she says to Buffy, look, whatever you're going through, work it out because pretty soon you're not even going to have the loser friends you have now. Remember that little Cordelia speech? This was the same thing, only it was reversed. But it was more compassionate. Like, Buffy was basically, she came out there and she was like, hey, you know, like, I know what it feels like to be hurt by someone. And I talked to my friends about it and it got a little better. And there's this tiny little moment where she almost decides to open up to Buffy. When, like, they get interrupted by fucking vampires and Cordelia ends up getting thrown into, like, a bunch of garbage in the alley. And, of course, Harmony and her friends walk by at that exact moment and laughing at her as she's picking garbage off of herself. And then she goes home and that's when she decides to, like, focus her anger on Buffy. And it's the next morning that she makes the wish. Um, and the wish is, I wish Buffy Summers had never come to Sunnydale. And then Anya suddenly turns around and she's all veiny and shit. And she says, done. And Cordelia and the whole world changes immediately. And Cordelia is just sort of standing there looking around. And where previously Buffy, Willow, and Xander had been sitting on a bench nearby, they're not sitting there anymore. So then Cordelia has this funny little... Like, at first she's shocked and she's looking around and she's like, she realizes immediately what has happened, which is pretty smart when you think about it. She's like, oh, that was a good fairy. 
a scary, veiny, good fairy. And then she sort of does this little evil laugh. She's like, <laughs> and she turns around and walks off. And it's just a great little moment. Um, everyone in the alternate. So we're in the alternate reality now. Everyone in this reality wears earth tones. They're very like, they look like they're all at Bible school or something. Like some of them are still wearing like, definite late 90s fashion of like short skirts and chunky shoes and stuff like that but it's all in like khakis and olive drab and browns like very muted tones and um cordelia is wearing like baby blue in this episode at this point once the she's still wearing the same outfit whatever and okay for whatever reason and i don't know what the purpose of this is but cordelia puts her like amulet her signature necklace her power center she puts that necklace on cordelia right before cordelia makes the wish so throughout the episode in the alternate reality cordelia's wearing anya's necklace and i don't know i have just logistical problems with this situation like i don't understand why she gave her the necklaces that's never a part of Anya's thing in the future like in the future whenever she becomes a vengeance demon again after Xander scorns her big surprise she has a different amulet number one like she doesn't have the same thing at all this is like an emerald heirloom looking cross thing and in the future she has like a labradorite pendant um, but it's never a thing that like a person needs to have her amulet before the wish works or anything like that. So I don't know the purpose of that, except that it's going to be something that Giles notices later and uses as a starting off point for doing his research. That's really the only reason why she ends up wearing the necklace, but it just, I don't know, it's a weird plot point. So I probably just shouldn't harp on that. Let's move on. Um, so they're in class. It is noticeable that there are, are a ton of empty desks in class. It's not a full class. When class gets out at the end of the day, everyone rushes out to get home before curfew because curfew is sunset, I guess, in this reality. And the teacher mentions monthly memorial. So there's a monthly memorial service in this reality for all the people that die. Um, everyone's in muted tones. They've got to all get home. Kids aren't allowed, teenagers aren't allowed to drive. So there's no cars in the parking lot at school. So when Cordelia goes out to find her car, it's not there. Um, and so she's starting to realize this maybe isn't that great of a reality. She says something to her friends like, are we going to go to the bronze tonight? What's going on? And they're all like, you're joking, right? And then she says something about Xander and Willow. Like, they're not even a blip on the radar screen, are they? And they're like, yeah, they're dead. What's wrong with you? Um, as Cordelia is walking home, I guess her house is really far away. Because, like, I don't, like, what, I, wouldn't she be able to get home way faster if she had a car? But teenagers aren't allowed to drive. I don't know whatever it's fucking dark and she's still trying to walk home at this point and um she sees xander 
and he's a vampire. <laughs> and my mom pointed out, I don't know if I would have noticed this on my own or not. Like it looks like in some lights, it looks like he's wearing just like a pretty standard late nineties ball chain or silver ball chain around his neck. But in some lights, you can see that it's sparkly. So either there are like little cubic zirconias or something embedded in the balls of the ball chain, or they're just, the whole thing is just made out of diamonds, which is really funny because it's just like extra bling for Xander to be wearing. So apparently as a vampire, Xander likes his bling. Thanks for pointing that out, mom. Um, and so we see that Xander and Willow are both vampires. Um, Willow's outfit has to be the outfit of the episode. I have some problems with it overall, but the idea of it is very good. So basically it is this sort of corsety top. It is definitely not a corset, but it's like a boned corset-like top that, um, and then there are these like little clamshell poofs of fabric around her boobs, probably just to make them look fuller because Allison Hannigan doesn't have a lot going on there. I mean, she's not like billowing with cleavage or anything, but it's a little bit of a boob emphasis for her. So she's wearing like this like pleather or vinyl corseted top that has these really interesting bell sleeves and the little clamshell fabric. She's wearing like vampy red lipstick. Other than that, the lips or the makeup is pretty understated for her being a vampire. Like if this were done today, the makeup would be a lot heavier, probably. <laughs> but in late 90s, I mean, really, they just put some gray eyeshadow on her and gave her extra pale face makeup and gave her a vampy lip. So it's way more makeup than Willow normally wears, but it's really not that much. Um, And then she's wearing like vinyl or leather. It looks more like leather than vinyl but um, pants and then some chunky shoes. So it's very late 90s vampire. Um, so that's the outfit of the episode for sure. Um, she says her patented phrase, bored now. <laughs> it's an really, literally, it's the first thing that Vamp Willow says is bored now. Her and Xander are in some sort of weird relationship, I guess, but Willow's the alpha for sure. She's like the favorite of the master. The master still exists in this universe. Um, so Cordelia has run into vampire Xander and vamp Willow out while she's trying to get home. And, you know, they're about to like chase her down when the White Hats arrive. The White Hats are Larry, Oz, Giles, and another uh, female character that we later find out we don't find out her name until she's dead. So she's a red shirt. Her name is Nancy. She seems, she looks so cool. I'd love to know more about Nancy, but we never get to know anything about Nancy. She has like two lines. She's shown as like, obviously she's really close. Like the four of them have got to be really close. If they're like the only force of good in this alternate reality, Sunnydale are these four people. Um, but they don't seem that sad when she dies later. Anyway, we'll get there. White hats. So Giles is wearing what to us right now seems like a new outfit. He's wearing like a, like earth tones. Everybody's wearing earth tones, but he's wearing like 
you know, a green sweater and some, you know, like cargo-y type pants. Like he's not wearing his tweed. Um, in one of my Buffy books, in the um, Bite Me episode guide, Nikki Stafford, the author, was calling him mentally deranged or mentally unstable or something. And I didn't really get that. I didn't, I mean, I, in the, in this alternate reality, Giles is not put together looking, but it's because this reality is a lot darker. So it would make sense that he's not, you know, like putting in the effort to wear his snazzy tweed suits and shit. Like it makes sense to me and it doesn't, it doesn't to me say that he's unstable, you know, it's just the general instability of a tragic world, you know, but this will become a very familiar outfit to the character of Giles starting next season. Like he really goes away from the tweed suit. He doesn't really do that anymore after high school. As soon as they get, as soon as they graduate high school and he's no longer the high school librarian, um, he's, this is how he dresses. So this is just a little, tiny little preview into the future style of Giles once he's no longer a librarian. Um, I don't know why I'm harping on that, but I just noticed like, oh, hey, that's a familiar outfit. But watching this the first time, that would be a very unfamiliar Giles outfit. Um, so in this reality, the bronze has been taken over by vampires. The master lives there. Um, I wrote down one, a sleigh librarian because Xander, um, refers to Giles as the one, a sleigh librarian. Um, the master keeps talking about the plant, like the plant's going to open tomorrow. It's a big deal. Blah, blah, blah. Um, Buffy mentions, oh, Cordelia mentions Buffy to Xander earlier when she ran into him. Like, where's Buffy? What's going on? She was supposed to be here. And Xander recognized the name. He knew that she was a slayer and they refer to her, to her as the slayer. So in this reality, you know, Buffy probably never died for a second, thus calling Kendra, which means Kendra never died. So it's fair to assume that Faith and Kendra never existed in this reality. Um, the master's just sort of like, what? Buffy, that can't happen. You better go track this Cordelia person down and kill her right now. Um, so Cordelia goes to Giles and, you know, they don't really know each other, but she just basically says, look, this isn't supposed to be this way. This isn't, this isn't the right world. Buffy was supposed to be here. You're her watcher. And so he believes her immediately because he didn't tell anyone that he used to be a watcher. Like he was, it's, it's sort of gray. Like I don't really understand if he was supposed to be Buffy's watcher, but she just never came. So she ended up being assigned a different watcher. Like it, it seems like if he was there waiting for her to show up so that he could be her watcher and then she didn't show up, wouldn't he go to her? Like, I guess she's in Cleveland. Um, he, so Cordelia's like, this isn't supposed to be this way, blah, blah, blah. Um, Xander and Willow show up and lock Giles in the book drop. <laughs> Yet another time in which that fucking book drop is used to lock someone in and 
he easily gets out afterwards. Anyway, so then they kill Cordelia right in front of Giles while he's in the book drop. And, you know, it's very, like, circular shot where, like, Xander has one side of her neck and Willow has the other. And they kill her and then she, they leave her and Oz and Larry come in right afterwards and... I guess some of Xander and Willow's lackeys had them distracted outside or something and they killed Nancy and there's not even really a moment of silence for Nancy. Like I would have really, I mean, I realize that these characters that are introduced just so you can kill them off are not supposed to be like emotionally jarring when you see them die, but like it would have been nice to see Oz and Larry and Giles act a little bit more upset that their partner in crime just died. You know, not partner in crime, obviously. Partner in good. One of their fellow white hats. The only female white hat. And we get to know nothing about her. And she just dies unceremoniously. Moment of silence. Pour one out for Nancy, everybody. R.I.P. Nancy. Okay. Um... So there, Giles asks Oz and Larry to take Cordelia to the incinerator. <laughs> so there's an incinerator, I guess, which makes sense. If there's a lot of deaths, they probably have, you know, a cremation process and then they just sort of scatter everyone's ashes together at the monthly memorials. I don't know. Um, so they pick her up to start taking her to the incinerator and oh my God. She just looks so skinny and small when they pick her up. Like, I mean, she looks hot in this episode, but let's be honest, Charisma Carpenter was probably too thin at this point. Like, I don't know why she seems so thin in this episode, but um, probably just because they were going to put her in a lot of tight clothing. So she might have been preparing for this. I don't know. I don't know. Anyway. And then Giles does something that I think is really sweet and really not normal. You know, in every piece of pop culture ever, when someone's taking a necklace off someone else, they just rip it off. That's always bothered me. It's always really bothered me. But in this situation, Cordelia is dead. Larry and Oz are picking her up. So like one of them is picking her up by the arms and the other one has her legs and that's when Giles notices her necklace and it, it clicks with him that like, this is a, this is a unique necklace. This might mean something. And he decides to take the necklace off of her. Keep in mind, she's dead. And I fully expected the first time I saw this, that he would just rip it off of her neck, just like everybody in every other TV show and movie ever. And she's dead, so it wouldn't be that disrespectful to rip a necklace off a dead person. But he reaches around her neck and he undoes the clasp and he takes it off gently. Because he, unlike Xander and most other people, has respect for Cordelia. Okay? Giles. Such a classy, classy librarian. Okay? I love him. Anyway, he takes the necklace off of Cordelia like a fucking gentleman. That's what was in my notes. Um, and he decides to do research on... He just, like, immediately trusts Cordelia. The fact that she was saying this is not how the world is supposed to be. 
and she really didn't have enough time to give him very much information at all before she was killed. She was just basically like, you got to find Buffy. This is not right. So he immediately calls Buffy's watcher and like tries to convince him or her to get her there. She's in Cleveland, which is really fucking far away. And she gets there like later that night. Like how, how did she get there later that night? Maybe she was on her way there for some reason. I don't, I don't know. That part of the plot is just a really big hole because like, it seems like it's like, you know, a couple of hours later when she shows up. Anyway, whatever. Um, we get back to the master. He has an espresso cup full of, we don't know what, but we assume it's blood. Um, Willow and Xander have gone back to him to say that they killed Cordelia, like he asked. And so Willow's like, can I play with the puppy? It should be obvious. I don't remember if it was obvious to me the very first time or not, but like who else would be the puppy that Willow wants to go play with? Obviously it's Angel. He's locked up. And that tracks for me that like in this reality, if the master was allowed to rise, Angel used to be, I think he used to be one of the master's lackeys, maybe? Or was that just Darla? Like, I don't know if he ever was one of the master's lackeys, but it would make sense that an ensouled vampire would end up being taken hostage and tortured indefinitely by the master. I buy that. So he's in like a little cell and he's wearing like freaking olive drab cargo pants. Like he's wearing earth tones just like everybody else. Um, and he's just like very weak and he's chained up and Willow is, Willow's basically like Drusilla. Um, she goes in there to torture him. She just like straddles him and drops matches on his chest and Xander is all good with watching that. I did have to note that Xander says he's sorry to Willow in that scene. So she's like straddling Angel, getting ready to torture him. Xander shows up and throws a lit match onto Angel's chest and it like from behind Willow. And Willow turns around and she's like, you almost got my hair. And he says, I'm sorry. Like the only time possibly the only time ever we see Xander apologize to anyone. It's to Willow. So I just thought that was important to point out. Um, symbol of Anyanka. So at this point, Giles is putting it together. He finds the symbol of Anyanka in his books, patron saint of scorned, scorned women. Um, he realizes he needs to go home to get some more books or something. So he's gets in his Citron and starts driving. Maybe it is supposed to, maybe we're supposed to think that it's like days later or something at this point. Maybe we are supposed to think it's the next night because, you know, Giles has done research at this point. He's gotten further with everything. And this is the day that the, um, the plant opens. So I guess this is supposed to be the next night. But I don't know, it just didn't seem that obvious. Anyway, whatever. So he leaves the library in his Citron. He still has that in this universe. And he gets on the way. He notices some people in distress. 
Really, the only weapon that Giles seems to have is a giant cross that he just, like, brandishes at vampires and then they just, like, hiss and run away. Like, it's not usually that easy to scare away vampires. If it was, then everybody would be carrying giant crosses in this universe and just holding them aloft as they walked anywhere through town. Like, if it were that easy. But one of the vampires um, manages to attack him. And it looks like he's gonna die right there. He probably would have, but Buffy shows up. So then we get an awesome scene where Buffy stakes a bunch of vampires in like two seconds, saves Giles, and then we see what Buffy looks like in this universe. She's wearing, she reminds me of Kendra, like she reminds me of a, a combination between Kendra and Faith. Like she's very jaded like Faith. She, but she is just, very like serious serious slayer like no nonsense serious slayer in the way that Kendra was so I think this is an interesting like probably a choice on Sarah Michelle Gellar's part part to just sort of do a combination between Faith and Kendra and I think it was the right choice I think she did a great job acting in this episode because she really did seem like a different person. She is Buffy if Buffy didn't have connections to other people and very reminiscent of Faith. But anyway, she's wearing like a gray tank top and some like cargo pants. Everybody's wearing like olive drab cargo pants in this episode. Um, hers sort of inexplicably had these like straps in the back like maybe they were actually overalls but they just folded them down and like the straps were kind of hanging in the back I don't know it was weird there was one shot of her from the back where it was like what is happening like why does she have all those straps back there but anyway she's wearing like olive drab pants gray tank top big cross necklace and she has a real sexy scar on her lip um that like was really prominent in this first shot when you see her after she saves Giles but then in further shots it's not as they don't play it up as much or they don't do as good of a job in the makeup department of making it prominent like it just looks like nothing in later scenes but in this scene it looks like a pretty hardcore scar um so he takes, Giles takes Buffy back to his place and he's like telling her about this whole situation. Okay, there's this Anyanka. She's a patron saint of scorned women. And I think maybe Cordelia accidentally made a wish and made this world bad. And Buffy's just all jaded. She's like, world is what it is. We fight. We die. Wishing doesn't change that. And Giles says, I have to believe in a better world. So I guess this is probably a good time to mention that Giles is the most valuable player of this episode because from the beginning, he trusts Cordelia and he has hope for a better world and he takes her serious. It would be so easy to dismiss her too. Like most people probably would have, they would have been like, what is this chick talking about? But he is immediately willing to do research and figure out what's going on and trust her and be respectful of her even though she was only able to tell him like three sentences before she died and he does what it takes he gets Buffy there like he is a badass in this episode he doesn't yank the necklace off of Cordelia's body like big deal 
Um, he mentions to Buffy, like, she's like, whatever, like, how does this have anything to do with me? Like, whatever. But he mentions something about the master and Buffy's like, who's that? And Giles says he's sort of the supreme vampire in town. He lives on the outskirts of town in an old club. So this is, I think, the first time it's been indicated to us that the bronze is on the outskirts of town. It doesn't ever seem like it takes them that long to get to the bronze. Like, Buffy regularly walks there. And Sunnydale just seems to have everything. Like, what is the fucking layout of Sunnydale? <laughs> Like, it, the bronze is on the outskirts of town? Really? Like, I would have believed that the factory is on the outskirts of town. Or the mansion is on the outskirts of town. But the bronze? Okay, whatever. I'm harping on a lot of details here. Let's move on. And then Buffy says, um, like, she's just like, oh, okay, well, point me. Point me there. I might as well do some good while I'm here. I'll just go kill the master real quick. And Giles is like, hey, well, we can help you. Let's get some force together. Like, he's basically calling for a plan. And she basically says, I don't play well with others. And I guess, you know, Giles is just put off by her in general. And he lets her go by herself. Um, she barges into the bronze to kill the master with no plan and she sees Angel locked up in the cage. No one's there because they're all at the plant for like the opening of the plant which I think is probably where the factory was I'm assuming. Um, so she sees Angel instead of the master locked up and he's he knows who she is because I guess in this reality he was still sent to Sunnydale to help her um but she never showed up, but he still recognizes her somehow. I don't know, whatever. He still has like a connection to her, but she's not buying it. And she keeps going like, what is the deal with you guys? Are you trying to get into my pants? Why do you, why is everyone in this town talking about me? Like I'm the second coming. And, um, he convinces her to like, he's like, I can take you to where they, to where they are. Um, I'll help you. And she goes to like unchain him and he, her cross like hits him in the face or something and he recoils and she has this awesome move. It's just Sarah Michelle Gellar. She's so good. Just this awesome little like dismissive, like she pushes herself away from the wall and it's like, oh God, of course. Um, are you kidding me? Kind of thing. And it's just so perfect because it's not the kind of movement that Buffy would ever make. Um, she's just a great actress. Anyway, that Buffy of our world would ever make. Anyway, so Angel convinces her because he's been tortured and all this shit. He convinces her to let him take her to where the master is. Then we see the plant and the plant is just this whole thing they've designed where there's this machinery that can drain a person's blood and then you can just like dispense their blood into wine glasses and drink them like he's proposing a more civilized way to be vampires I guess I don't know so the plant is just all about like killing people en masse and like it's capitalism basically <laughs> um some sort of metaphor for capitalism I'm sure um Giles after Buffy leaves he just 
starts gathering together everything for a spell to summon Anyanka because he has he's found out that the only way to destroy her is to find her power center why he wouldn't automatically think well I bet this necklace that I just took off of Cordelia is Anyanka's power center I should just destroy that I don't know why he doesn't think of that immediately but instead he gathers together all the supplies to summon Anyanka um my next note master is demonstrating his new juice machine his blood juice machine angel and buffy show up just in time to see him demonstrating the master demonstrating his juice machine human juice machine angel says what's the plan buffy says don't fall on this and she shows them her shows him her stake um my next note is angel is immediately helpful because <laughs> as soon as buffy shows up um angel runs over because there's a whole bunch of people behind like in an enclosement um including oz and larry so i guess they're the like future people to be juiced or whatever um behind as my mom pointed out a convenient enclosement of bars all made out of wood (laughs) so Angel immediately goes over and lets all the people out and starts fighting on behalf of Buffy. So, like, my note of Angel being immediately helpful is because he was not that whenever Angel first met Buffy. He just sort of lurked in the background and watched her and showed up every once in a while giving her some information and then disappeared. Like, he didn't actually help her fight until... I don't know, like... I almost think he didn't really help her do anything until she went against the master at the end of season one, right? Like he was not immediately helpful in the real world, but in this he is like, he's been fighting with her this whole time. So I kind of call bullshit on that again, getting hung up on the details. Let's move on. So Oz and Larry, since they're in that enclosement with the other humans and the other humans look like they might, they're probably just running screaming, but it seemed like for a second, maybe they were helping too, but um, Oz immediately starts breaking up those wooden bars so so that he and Larry can stake as many vampires as possible. And Buffy doesn't really care. Like, she's fighting vampires along the way, but she really just wants to get to the master and kill him. Um, looking at my notes. Okay. Now we get into more shenanigans of me paying too much attention to the details. But, like, I don't really know what the necklace transfer situation is. So Giles is using the necklace as one of his ingredients to summon Anyanka that he took off Cordelia that she gave to her right before the world changed. But when she shows up, she's wearing the necklace. So is it the same necklace? Like, or is there a copy of the necklace? Like, does she just always have the necklace and it doesn't matter if she gives it to someone in an alternate reality? Is it just that one of the necklaces existed in the reality before a copy was made? And then when the copy of the reality was made, a copy of the necklace was made? (laughs) I don't know. I've never been hung up on that before. But as soon as Anya shows up after Giles summons her, she's wearing the necklace. So there are at least two necklaces unless it transferred to her neck as she was showing up. I don't know. Anyway, anyway, I needed to stop thinking about the necklace. 
It just bothers me, though, because this is supposed to be the symbol of Anyanka. There's the discrepancies within this episode of the nature of the necklace and how many there are. And then later when she gets reinstated as a vengeance demon, it's not the same necklace at all. They don't even try to make it look like the same necklace. Like, why not? Like, of course, I'm all for Anya using a Labradorite, which is my favorite stone in the universe, as her amulet in later seasons. But anyway, okay. Letting go of the necklace. Letting go of the necklace. Okay. So this is the very end of the episode where you're seeing um, cut back and forth between two scenes. Angel has just, or Giles has just summoned Anya and... So it's cutting back and forth between Giles and Anya at his place and Buffy and Angel and Oz and Larry fighting all the vampires at the plant, including the master. So going back and forth between those two things. Um, It's a beautiful death scene, basically. So in the reality or in the scene of Angel and Buffy and Oz and Larry fighting the vampires... I think Oz is the only one that lives. Oz and Larry are the only ones that live. Because Xander gets killed by Buffy. Angel gets killed by somebody. I think he just got caught in the crossfire of a crossbow shot. So it's possible that Buffy killed Angel. And then as soon as he, he's, he like clutches his chest and goes, Buffy, and then he dusts. And then there's this awesome shot of Buffy just sort of, you know, charging emotionlessly through his dust. And I wrote, um, I wrote in my notes, Buffy walks through cloud of angel dust. Ha ha, angel dust. (laughs) Um, but it's a beautiful death scene. Buffy kills Xander, Oz and Larry kill Willow. Um, and the master kills Buffy again. I always harp on this, but when the master killed Buffy the first time at the end of season one, he just like drank a tiny bit of her blood and then dismissively dropped her in a pool of water. So she actually died from drowning, which is why Angel or Xander could resuscitate her. In this instance of the master killing Buffy in this alternate universe, he breaks her neck and then he just walks away. That's it. If you're a fucking vampire, you're gonna drink the blood of the slayer. Okay? Like that's gonna be like the best blood ever. Why are people so dismissive? Drusilla didn't drink Kendra's blood when she killed her. It just bothers me. Sorry. I know I've talked about that a lot, but it bugs me. This made me think of something, though. Do you remember season one? There was that prophecy that the master was going to kill Buffy. Or the master was going to kill the Slayer or whatever. Um, I guess that prophecy still exists. So that's kind of a nice little point of continuity. I mean, there's a lot of plot holes in Buffy, but at least there's that little through line right there because... The master still kills Buffy in this universe, so that prophecy still exists, I guess. So he breaks her neck. Um, oh, and then we go back to Anya and Giles, and, you know, they've been fighting the whole time. Um, at this point, he 
realizes that her necklace is her power center because it glowed at him while she was about to choke him. So at this point, he rips it off her neck, which this is justified. He ripped a necklace off someone's neck because she was his enemy and he needed to smash it. So that makes sense. (laughs) So he rips the necklace off her neck and he gets ready to like smash it with like a it looks like some kind of like marble bookend or something that he has on his desk. And Anya tries to stop him. You trusting fool. How do you know the other world is any better than this? And Giles says, because it has to be. And then he smashes it and it all goes back because as he read in his books earlier, the only way you can destroy Anyanka or the only way you can undo her spells and he has emphasized that he doesn't want to kill her he just wants to undo what she did um so they don't even really call her a demon in this episode they don't call her a vengeance demon they just call her the patron saint of scorned women and giles never had any intention to kill her so it is said in the book that if you destroy her power center it undoes all the wishes that she granted and it takes away her power as a demon or maybe it does call her a demon but so he smashes her necklace and then we're immediately brought back to the moment where Cordelia wished that Buffy had never come to Sunnydale and we see Anya turn around and say done um oh my god that reminds me was Cordelia wearing the necklace when she made the wish once once we go back and realize that she can't grant the wish because her powers are taken away surely she's not wearing the necklace anymore because it would be gone right (laughs) um surely oh god i'm gonna have to go back and look i'm gonna have to god damn it i don't want to but i'm gonna have to okay Maybe a waste of five minutes of my life, but I had to turn my DVD player back on and make sure that she wasn't wearing the necklace once the spell had been broken and she wasn't. Okay, the necklace is gone, I guess forever because we never see it again. Okay. Um, and there's this cute little scene like when we go back to the moment where Cordelia made the wish and Anya tries to tell her done, but she can't. And she's no longer veiny. She turns around and says done and she's no longer veiny and the necklace doesn't exist. And then Cordelia's like, that would be awesome. I wish the Buffy had never been born. I wish. And then she's one of the wishes. She says several things, but she walks by where um, Xander Willow and Buffy are sitting on that bench Um, I wish all men, except maybe the dumb and really agreeable kind, disappeared off the face of the earth. (laughs) Um, and then we see the only glimpse of Giles in the, like, regular reality. He walks by, you see him sort of, like, flitter by and, like, say something like a joke or something. So he just, like, sort of hops by like an imp. (laughs) Um, Buffy... Xander and uh, Willow sitting on the bench and they're just like sort of laughing at him as he walks by and there's just like this cheesy music while you're seeing them like you can't hear what they're saying to each other but they're all alive and this is the great reality <laughs> still a pretty dark one um, so that's the end of the episode
Let's talk about our ratings. I already said the most valuable player here is Giles because he believed in a better world, even though he had no evidence of it. So he just had faith and he believed. He had faith and hope. Um, the outfit I already said was Vampire Willow's outfit, her little corsety shirt with the bell sleeves and the vinyl pants and the chunky shoes. The object of the episode, I really spent like a while trying to think of like, what do I actually want from this episode? I don't really want anything, but I decided it was on Yonka's necklace because that's the thing that I harp on the most in this episode, even though it's not my kind of thing since it's gold. Um, but I guess that would be what I'd want. I'd want to have the power to summon the patron saint of scored women, which apparently you need the necklace in this episode, at least in order to do that. I don't know. No, you don't, because Cordelia didn't have it. She just summoned her unconsciously because of all her pain. Anyway, stop talking about the necklace now, but it is my object of the episode. The quote, like I said earlier, was Buffy's um, slang's a rough gig. Um, too much alone time. What'd she say? Let's be real. Slang's a rough gig. Too much alone time isn't healthy. That's the quote of the episode. Um, and, and the theme of the episode, too, really. Um, I like to have my five by five ratings. So I do two different ratings, one for enjoyability of the episode and the other has been newly changed to the treatment of women in the episode. So that's something we're going to have to talk about for a second. Let's just go through each character. Cordelia, how is she treated in this episode? She's treated with respect by Anya and by Giles but disrespect by everyone else and killed pretty dismissively in the alternate reality, which I think is trying to tell us that she would have died very quickly if Buffy hadn't been around to save her. So overall, Cordelia is not treated that well in this episode. Willow, she has agency as a vampire, but she's being pretty awful to Oz, not giving him the space that he needs after she cheated on him, she's being portrayed as kind of emotionally immature. Um, so, uh, I don't know. I would say overall Vampire Willow is a force to be reckoned with. And at least she is the dominant one in the relationship with her and Xander as vampires. I think that tracks. I don't think Xander would be in control of anything. He's not smart. Like they're still not showing him as smart as, even as a vampire. So Willow as a character treated consistently for her character, I think in this episode. So she's, she's okay. She's treated all right. Cordelia, not so much. I'm gonna give her a minus one. I'm gonna give Willow a plus one. Nancy, Hello, treated like total shit. There was only, out of the four white hats, she was the only woman and she was killed off immediately. So, negative one for Nancy. Anya, let's see. Anya's, you know, she is powerful, but her powers get immediately taken away by Giles. And she ends up dating the person that she was summoned in, on her last job as a vengeance demon. So, kind of a negative for Anya's character. Um, just the fact that Xander's being such an ass about everything 
is a negative to Cordelia's character as well. This episode was written by Marty Noxon. So this is this episode was written by a woman. Overall, I don't think... I have a little bit of a problem with the treatment of women in this episode. Mostly because of Nancy. Because of the dismissiveness of Faith. Like, Faith isn't even there. Like, they're just sort of throwing in a couple sentences about her. Just so you'll have an answer to where the fuck is Faith. Um... Buffy is still a powerful slayer in this episode, but yeah, I don't know. I can't really give this episode in particular high marks for treatment of women because Xander cancels a lot of it out by refusing to even apologize to Cordelia. Cordelia is the one that's getting all the shit, which I guess is more about her social status than the fact that she's a woman, but she's the one that's getting all the shit by her peers at the end of this relationship. Um, I don't know if it's just kind of neutral, kind of not great for treatment of women. I'm going to go with 2.5. I give this episode a 2.5 for treatment of women. I'm giving it a 3.5 for, um, enjoyability because it's just, you know, alternate reality episodes and fantasy shows are always a treat. It's always fun to like get, I mean, even if it's dark and this particular alternate reality is dark and it packs a punch, um, emotionally, it's still fun to, I mean, you had to see like everyone get killed. Oz and Giles were the only ones that lived and Larry. So the only people that lived in this episode were dudes, uh, everyone else dead or no or never even existed i mean i guess faith could be alive somewhere but she's not a slayer in this reality um so that means i have to do math 3.5 by 2.5 what is that math yikes that means the episode only gets an 8.75 that's pretty bad that sounds really bad bad <laughs> but i don't dislike this episode i think compared to doppelgangland which is the other time we get to have we just get a crossover of vamp willow ends up in the you the normal buffyverse universe and i think that episode is a lot better just on comparison but this is the introduction to these to this alternate universe and it's the introduction of anya so that's important. So it's not really as bad as it looks, but that means this episode gets an 8.75 out of a possible 25. Makes it sound real bad, but whatever. Anyway, um, I will see you guys. Let's do the business shit. I will be back next week with, we will talk about amends and then we're going to have a few weeks off. So we'll have to I'll know by next week what we're going to do in the interim because I don't want to like leave you guys for three weeks, three or four weeks straight, which is how long we'll have to wait in between Buffy episode discussions after the next episode. Um, but yeah, I'll be back to talk about amends. That episode, I think we'll probably get a worse score than this one does. God, I hate that episode. Buffy's got bad bangs. She... <sighs> There's just a heartbreaking moment with Faith, which is probably the last nail in the coffin of Faith as a good Slayer character, which is about to happen. 
anyway, we'll talk about that next week. So I'll be back next week when we talk about amends. Um, thanks for listening, everybody. Bye.